Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 160 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here this week and thanks for tuning in to the show. Now if you're enjoying the podcast and want to show your support, the best way to do that is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Your ratings and reviews help the podcast get seen easier and hopefully it will help people get off the sofa and on to the saddle. So I just want to say a big thanks to everybody who's been reviewing the show over the last number of months. It really is helping people see the show and hopefully helping them get out on bikes again. So thanks for all your help. Now on to today's show and today we are chatting with Jim Buchanan from his very cool YouTube channel called Pin TV. Now I'm sure you have been watching Pin TV and if you haven't been, I would advise you go over to YouTube and check it out. Uh, you'll get some great info on there. We chat to Jim about how he got into mountain biking, working with Dirt Magazine and MBUK, and how he fell out of love with mountain biking for a number of years before returning to the scene and realising that things had changed with better bikes, better trails, and there was this new thing at that time called Enduro. And the enduro racing scene really got him back into it and really got him interested in it. But Jim tells some great stories from back in the day, how the scene has changed from then until now, and um, how the Pin TV YouTube channel has grown over the years for Jim and his son Todd. It's really, really great to get Jim on the show. It was a great chat. And I love guys like this that take their passion and turn it into something else, you know. And it's really there to help you and me enjoy biking more, find out a little bit more, know about certain products, etc., etc. So we chat about all that, about bikes, about races, and about sponsorship for the show, etc., etc. So without further ado, Let's hear the story of Pin TV and get Jim on the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you, sir? All right. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Can't complain. Well, as I was saying to you beforehand, my PC, my laptop burst after, well, I'm sure I've had that thing five or six years now, so it's done all right. And it, yeah. was, it wasn't even new when I bought it, so it's done very well. <laughs> Well, you say you say we can't complain. Everyone can complain at the moment. We've just got to crack on with things, haven't we, and just get on with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the COVID, I'm in Northern Ireland here, the COVID restriction thing has just been changed, so you can't yeah. visit another household. Right. Um, you're not allowed in a household. You're only allowed six people in the garden, so that scuppers my plans for a few evenings um, through yeah. the week. I think you're a bit worse than us there. Then I think we can have six people round the house maximum. Um, and I don't know. I think that's in the house, but uh, don't quote me on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You see, I think it was like that for us a week ago. Yeah. Um, for a good while it has been like that, but they have just changed it because there was a few deaths over the last few days. And I think they're scared of it, you know, going crazy again. But the whole thing's nuts, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's all gone like localized lockdowns now, and then uh, 
the masks are more important to wear and then you've got to um i think there's quite possibly we're gonna have a proper lockdown again uh, yeah. oh don't get me started on it it drives me mental the whole thing does yeah i'm sure man i'm sure i think the biggest problem is a lot of people it's hard to know what's happening it's different yeah, here, it's yeah. different there. You, you know, there's so much info out there. There's a lot of misinformation. It's hard to know what to do. I know, yeah. And it's hard to know, in my case anyway, uh, what to believe, what mm. to believe we've been told and facts and figures. And, you know, I think you should just look at the deaths more than the uh, how many cases there are because obviously there's loads and loads more testing now. And uh, there's just... So much stuff if you read between the lines that can – it's almost worse if you start doing that because it can fry your head. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, all right, let's put that behind us and uh, chat about your very cool YouTube channel, Pinned TV, because I'm sure that's what people want to hear about, not about COVID. Yeah, yeah not us <laughs> going on about viruses. That's uh, that's the one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, cool. And we'll get into the Pinned TV thing. Uh, very interesting. You've got – like sixteen thousand plus subs there. Yeah, you have like three and a half million overall views or st- statistics, or I don't know how they rate those things on YouTube, but that's pretty amazing. It's been doing really well. Yeah, it's, uh, when I occasionally, probably every couple of months, I don't get too obsessive with all the numbers, but every few months I'll look through the analytics, and uh, when you start looking at the numbers and the people from different countries, it's just mind blowing because. I like to, if I ever, occasionally I'll do a video, it won't get many views, you know, and you think, well, hang on a minute, imagine being sat there with, I don't know, 5,000 people watching your video, it would be absolutely nuts seeing all those people, and it's, yeah, it's kind of a weird but awesome feeling, really. Yeah, it really is strange, because you can imagine, you know, even a couple of hundred people, if you were given a presentation and there was yeah. 200 people at it. You'd like be that's... so nervous, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's crazy, man. It really is nuts. And it's funny, I was reading a book the other day, and it was chatting about, it was more US-based, you know, but it was chatting yeah. about the ABC and Fox News and on all these channels, you know, and yeah. their their late night kind of chat shows and all this kind of stuff. And it was given yeah. stats. And there's so many YouTube channels get more views than those shows now. Oh, yeah. If you look at the proper famous YouTubers, um, they are, well, first of all, they're absolutely raking it in because, you know, you think that – some of them, like Casey Neistat was one I looked at right at the beginning, who's still like super famous. And at one point he was doing a video, I think he was uploading every day for a year. That was his thing he did about five years ago. And he was averaging $20,000 off uh, Google per video for a year. And, um, you know, um, I just set my phone off and said the G word. <laughs> Shut up, phone. Uh, yeah, uh, so... It just shows how 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 influ- influential some of them are. You know, they get on like reality shows on the telly, and but obviously we're worlds apart from that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's that next level up, isn't it? It's yeah, it's yeah. just it's like Joe Rogan in the podcast world, you know. Yes, uh, yeah, that's right. Like, I I did. I sat down and and worked out how much he was making per episode through. 
a rough idea of what he was getting off his podcast sponsorship and then off his YouTube views and everything else that goes with that. And yeah, the man's the man's doing well for himself. Like, yeah, fair play to. Him. I mean, myself, I'm still working um, quite a lot, you know, in uh, like landscaping and tree surgery and stuff like that. So uh, that'll show you how much mm-hmm. I'm earning off Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard, and I know they change how that whole thing works and all quite regularly. So I suppose yeah. that's something you have to keep on top of, right? Yeah, I just if whatever I get out of it, I get out of it with with um, YouTube. To be honest, and it's constantly growing. I'm getting more each month. Um, it's definitely not a living. It might have been a living like twenty years ago. Um, but then I also have channel sponsors. I've got four main channel sponsors. I get money out of. For, so you'll see their uh, animated logos on the beginning and the end of each videos, and. I, try and give them sort of um just use their products if you know what i mean yeah yeah no it's very interesting it's super interesting what it's doing for the mountain bike industry and the people getting involved and everything i think that's that's a real interesting side of it because it certainly stokes people and gets people on bikes and gets people out yeah you know like We'll touch on it a wee bit later, but I'm sure you find that through your channel that it stokes people and you get oh, comments and stuff. Hundred uh, percent. It's. I mean, occasionally I'll put one on the Instagram, a, a message I'll get off a subscriber, but it's probably every day that I'll get some kind of message through uh, Facebook, through Instagram, through YouTube, even emails. You can get my email off there, and I've had so many of people that. Um, it's quite heartwarming when they say, you know, we love what you're doing, especially with my lad Todd, because there's a lot of subscribers who are sort of my age and they've got kids and they're trying to ride with them. Um, and just saying you you get us through it or people who, in lockdown especially, um, people who weren't allowed out or couldn't go proper riding and saying we love your videos. And it's uh, it's mind-blowing because, you know, it's just me, me and Todd talking to a GoPro when we're uh, – when we're out there doing it, I it's not the way the way it goes, you know. And the first guy, let me think now. The first guy I seen doing stuff like that was BKXC. I'm sure you've heard yeah. of him, Brian Kennedy. That's right. Yeah. Um, I had Brian on the podcast episode. Let me see here, episode twenty eight. Wow, that was back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know it was interesting talking to talking to Brian about the whole thing um, and how it's changed his life. Really, he does it full time, obviously, and has done yeah. for quite a while. But um, yeah, like the number of interactions he gets and stuff, it's it's crazy. Like, there's no way you could end up replying to every one of those. You know what I mean? It's just it gets out of your control to a certain extent. I, so, I yeah, shows I, you how many people are involved. Yeah. Mm, I, I try, if I ever get a question, I try and reply to every single one. And I try to, like on YouTube, you get all the comments and the interaction to me is really important. Uh, and to keep up with it, I do a lot of emojis. You know, if someone will mm. give a comment, if they give you a compliment, it'll be like the, you know, thank you emoji or the smiley or the uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's an actual question, I'll always try and answer it. But it, I do spend, it's, 
morning and night i will check it and i have to go on there and the same with like the insta and the facebook um it certainly keeps me busy yeah for sure man for sure it's uh it's time consuming too a lot of that stuff you know people don't realize that no especially when you're editing and trying to upload i i try and do a video every three days um so i do put a lot of stuff out there um and obviously each video has got to be it's got to be filmed it's got to be edited then you've got to put it uh, well, you've got to render it, then you've got to put it onto YouTube, then you've got to do all your YouTube tagging and all the um, thumbnails. I've got Todd doing quite a lot now. He does all the thumbnails for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a fair bit of work. Oh, yeah. yeah totally, man. Totally. Like, yeah. people have been at me to do a YouTube thing as well, you know. And yeah. But to be honest, man, I don't have... I just don't really have the time to do it. You know, not to not to put enough time into it to make the thing work yeah. you know um at this minute in time i just because i know i know from editing the podcast and how much time that takes i know going to video um even if i was just to put the audio on youtube i know how much more time that takes with tagging yeah. and editing and everything else and it's it's just crazy man so fair play to you fair play it's not easy to do when you're working full time as well no, it's not. I, I mean, I do it quite simply. You know, a lot of people think I'm using like Premiere Pro or Final Cut. And I, I, I got an old, I think it's Sony Vegas 14 that I got off like a charity site. I think I paid $20 for it. Right. Uh, I don't do any color grading. Todd started doing some stuff and he's he started color grading and, do, you know, a lot more technical. I keep mm. it as simple as possible um, just so I can do it quickly, really yeah yeah oh, for sure well you have to do that sometimes i know mm-hmm. all um, right well go on sorry sorry i was just going to say um i wouldn't mind knowing your background a little bit because okay. i know you've ripped for magazines and stuff like that in the past so i think that would be quite interesting so like when did you when did you get into mountain biking or what kind of drew you to the mountain biking scene um well when I was in my what was it, early 20s, towards mid-20s, I'd done all the sort of going off traveling and working abroad and uh, stuff before that. You know, I was quite late into mountain biking. I was a bit of an idiot in me, you know, early 20s. Got in a lot of trouble and did things I shouldn't have done. And then I came back from traveling. Uh, we won't get into all that. Uh, came back from traveling and... Um, then I moved to Shrewsbury. I got a job um, as like a groundsman. And then there's a real big scene of mountain biking in Shrewsbury. You've got the mid Shropshire wheelers and some decent shops and stuff. So I got into that. I just sort of happened upon it and really got into riding. It was a bit more like XC then, really. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit like going out exploring and stuff or you then you start doing your group ride locally. Um, and then I rode with a mate, Stu Hughes, who, you know, in the 90s, late 90s, he was a really good downhiller. He, he'd be the one on the box with Steve and Warner. Right, uh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, if he ever did local stuff. I, I think he got on the box with them in maybe in Aletham once as well. It really, he still is a good rider and still a good friend. So he got me into, and I, he said, like, what about a bit of downhill? Why don't you come racing? And I was like, bloody hell, I don't know about that. 
Um, so I took, I think the first time I went downhill in was with him, Pete Crump and Scott Beaumont. And we went to Ribswood Woods and I loved it. Then I bought a second hand bike off Andrew Titley that had been mm-hmm. in one of the, one of the chain reaction, mm-hmm. chain smoke, sorry, videos. Um, the one that fell off the back of the car. <laughs> uh, yeah it, it sort of went from there and then like in be about 97 maybe uh when dirt was out and i knew mike rose was mike rose who was the photographer well he wasn't even the photographer then he worked with my mate Stu landscaping and then he wanted to do a bit of photography on mountain bikes so we took him to a few races and then obviously Mike became senior editor in the end years later. Um, so he was doing photography and I contacted him and said, look, I, I've noticed you, you haven't got anyone covering any of the Midlands races, which um, I can't remember what they became, but yeah, Midlands super series, really good races. So they said, Oh, do you want to try and do as an article? And I did one and you know, I took it from there and ended up, I was still always working, but I ended up working for dirt a lot up to about 2002 did a little bit for mbuk a few articles and a couple for a few others and it was very you know much self-employed mm-hmm. uh, just charging them per word type thing but i was very in with dirt i used to run the dirt team mm-hmm. uh, had three people riding for us that no two people uh traveled a bit with that there's some nice perks with dirt got to test a few bits and pieces of kit um and then yeah i was racing then in the seniors i wasn't very good i was never like amazing i could top 10 in the seniors and then i ended up top 10 in the masters cy payton who you know mulvins and bds and all that he ran all that still is mr Morvans. uh he was like my main competitor so we were like really competitive with each other um and about 2002 i just had enough of it i was just doing too much of it i was racing every weekend and i think i tried mini bikes you know like the mini pit bikes mm. uh i love that so much i just sort of it was weird it was like overnight i'd had enough of it all and i kind of wanted to do some other stuff and i gave it up i had a great sort of deal with giant and stendek and i I took everything back and i said look here mate i'm not enjoying it anymore and that was it for mountain biking from 2002 to probably 2012 yeah well let me ask you a little bit about that like why do you think your interest dropped at that time uh I think at that time, 2002, it was, I don't know, the downhill race. I was downhilling all the time. Um, we were still doing a lot of either push-ups or we were getting lifts, you know, on the back of trailers and a lot and um, sort of big uh, farm trailers and stuff like that. Mm. But you go to a downhill and you, you pay like i don't know what it was then 50 quid or something i i to be fair i used to get them for free because i do articles but um your whole weekend I, I worked it out at a british national you'd be there for like two three days and you'd be you'd spend 20 minutes on the bike you know you get like four practice runs in and then your race run or two race runs and it was just like wasn't enough riding 
And in those days, we were all like, oh, I'm not riding up a hill, you know, I'm gnarly downhill or whatever. Um, I didn't really, apart from the very early days of riding, I kind of didn't want to ride up a hill. Mm-hmm. And I just stopped enjoying it, started doing the mini bike, and then I got into motorbike enduros. Uh, and just, I don't know, I just preferred it. And then... Um, mm. Well, the mountain bike, the mountain bike scene back then. Do you think it was a little stagnant? You know, yes. do you think the whole downhill scene was just a little, a little samey, samey, same faces? Yeah. Nobody knew getting into it. Was that the kind of thing that was I happening? Think right there, you know, I've never really thought about why I came away from it, but it was so similar year on year, and you're going back to these same places, and nothing was advancing really. But then also one thing that. I suppose one thing that did advance were you'd suddenly get in these big jumps and I was never a jumper. Mm. You get like the big doubles or massive drops in races, which to be fair, though going looking back 2001, 2002, I could easily do those jumps and drops now on an Enduro bike. But at the time, they, they, I mean, I'm not a jumper now, but they scared the hell out of me. Mm. Um, yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I just fancy the chat. I think I've just done it too much. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, if you're working full-time, you're, yeah. you're doing your nine-to-five, let's say, you're also contributing to Dirt Magazine and yeah. uh, MB UK. You're full, it's just full-on all the time, yeah. and then you're yeah. away most weekends. It can just get too much, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's um, – I mean, I am a bit of an all-or-nothing person, but I think it had been all for so long that I just didn't want to do a little bit. I just wanted to try some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And at that stage, was there many of the guys racing, making a living from it? You know, were they were – they, was that their main focus? Was that their job? Well, there was a lot of money about in – not a two, I wouldn't say in 2002, but in like 99 – maybe 2000. Yeah, there was some people, even my mate Stu, who I was going with, he was in the elite, regularly getting top fives, and he was the, he won a lot of the, um, I think it was Jules or Four Cross then, you know, they'd have them at the same weekend, mm-hmm. at the same track. Uh, and I think Sports Division were paying him 10 grand a year then, and, you know, all wow. his goodies, and he was, he was working full-time. So there was a few quid about, and then you'd have people putting money in, like Toyota. Um, everybody wanted a piece of the mountain bike action, and then, like you say, it, it did go a bit stagnant, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how things like that happen. You yeah. know, um, whether whether it's something new to a lot of people and the TVs catch on and everybody's interested in it for a couple of years, and then, yeah. or if it's the competitors there's no characters in it or i don't know it's hard to know sometimes how that kind of thing happens you know yeah and i think back in those days the step up for the elite riders to go from a good elite racer in this country to world cup was so massive you know obviously pete was the first one who became so successful we all looked up to him um and yeah it just i don't know it, it seemed to take a while and then you got the Aftertons came along but then when they i raced with them in the old days when they were kids you know you've mm. seen them at the races and, and when i was writing for dirt i used to 
I used to always say, check out G. Afferton. He was a youth rider and he used to be able to beat the elites. Yeah. I thought, this guy's amazing, even though he rides in Lycra. Because him and his brother rode in Lycra and he got <laughs> so much Mickey take for it out of all the other races. But um, mm-hmm. a lot of the elite riders would sort of slate them a bit. Oh, they're just local heroes, short course peddlers, blah, blah, blah. And I was always bigging them up in dirt saying they, they're going to go somewhere these lads and and Ra- but rachel was still you know still a bit young then and mm-hmm. obviously look where they went <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah exactly working for the likes of dirt and stuff like that how did you find that were those guys good to work with yeah really good really just like you let you get on with it um Obviously, nowadays, everything's very corporate. You've got to be a, a little bit, well, a lot more careful if you write for magazines, which was obviously what happened when I was working for Enduramag years later. Um, but in those days, oh, every every race report I did at a national started off with, you know, what the hell are we doing back here at this crap course again? It's so peddly. But I, all oh, the, the race promoters who did those hated me at the time because – I just spoke the truth. I just yeah. said, you know, this place is flat. It's not a proper downhill. Why have they added that big, long, flat, pedally bit? This is downhill and all that sort of stuff. Probably because I was just lazy and I didn't want to pedal. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the bikes then as well were terrible for pedaling uphill, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Super heavy. Um, you know, I think if you went back in time to those days on a modern day Endura bike, you'd absolutely clean up if you had a good bit of skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy how how that's changed, and and really, I think it's the enduro scene that has changed anything. Yeah. To be honest, the bikes and the enduro thing have pushed everything because if you look at the downhill bikes, they haven't obviously they got to a certain level, but since they've hit that level that we see now, they haven't changed that much, really. Yeah, I know, and it, I don't know. I think they've become more and more niche, haven't they? A downhill bike. Mm. Uh, less useful i mean obviously if you're doing world cups or if you're high level it's i'm going to say you live up in scotland and you've got the use of um decent sort of uplifts or whatever all the time then an enduro bike just makes so much more sense yeah yeah for sure for sure and i think even the trails you know and you'll know this better than me but the trails nowadays do you think the downhill and the enduro trails are getting closer together every year like I think enduro enduro stages now are so much more like what we used to race in the old days in downhill, the the snotty, natural, you know, physical stuff, whereas downhill seems to have gone a little bit too bike parky, especially when you watch the World Cups. But I know that all all those riders are trying to sort out coming away from that now, aren't they? They've been doing petitions and all sorts, but uh definitely those bikes have got to be able to take you know massive hits and real mm. gnarly gnarly stages and whatever yeah yeah it's funny because i was chatting who had i on i think it was killian callahan i think i had on who does the the downhill and it was funny because we were chatting about bikes and about setups and stuff and i never really thought about it but he was saying to set up a downhill bike or to ride a downhill bike is much easier than an enduro because you have one trail yeah, 
and you can set your bike up for that one trail. Whereas an enduro, you have maybe, let's say, four, five, six stages, and they're different. Yeah, so, and you've got to ride it uphill. <laughs> yeah. So how can you set your bike up for all those different stages, individual stages? You can't do it. No, you can't. You've got to get a, a, a decent middle ground, haven't you, really, where you're, you're happy that it's going to um, be good all day. I mean, I'm personally a set and forget with suspension. Um, yeah. Some people will tinker, but uh, I'd rather just yeah, get – I've got the local JTAC, and they do all my sort of Olin stuff, and, yeah, they set it up for me and tune it, and I, and that's it. I won't touch it again, basically. Right. It needs, I'll take it back in when it needs servicing. Yeah, I'd be about the same. I'd be scared to change something and then it go yeah. drastically wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah, but some of the suspensions and all you get in these enduro bikes now, there's so many settings on them. I know, yeah. The, the, that new, uh, have you seen the new Cane Creek that's got like five dials on it and um, <sighs> basically got soft hard, I think it is, on every dial. And I look at that and think, oh my God, I wouldn't know what I'm doing with that, to be honest. no. Definitely not. And then you've everything else to factor in. Your yeah. weight, your weight on the day. Yeah. <laughs> your tire yeah, pressure. Yeah. yeah everything well. else, man. It's crazy. Mm. It's, it's just not. The bikes have gone crazy. Gone crazy. Um, yeah. But I wanted to chat to you about your motorcycling days as well, your motocross and stuff that you've done, because yeah. I'm interested to know how different you found that scene to the mountain bike scene or, or if there is a difference there. Well, to start with, well, there's a mini bikes, which is like the pit bikes. And it was a very big scene in with a lot of the race downhill racers. So we, if you look at, I mean, obviously we were in, me and Stu and a few other mates were in some of the earlier sprung movies of Alex Rankins. Mm. And then the pit bike racing come along and we actually held the first race in Shrewsbury. Wow. Uh, and then there'd be the Royal Weekends that Peter used to organise up in Doncaster where people would turn up on the motocross bikes. But then it also, that sort of went to mini bikes. Right. And and uh, mini bikes, you're not meaning those little small, the little small yeah, mini like bikes. A, like a miniature motocross bike. And it started with like the, you get a Z50 Honda or you get all the copies like Jincheng's that we bought, the Chinese copies with the fat tyres. And we'd all race them, and they'd come 50, and then you'd, you'd put, like, a um, Honda C90 engine in it, and uh, we were racing that. It was so much fun. It was brilliant. Yeah. And it got a bit, sort of, the money got involved, and people would turn up on these things that were worth, like, thousands, and mm. its suspension was uprated, and, engine, and it was a bit like who had the most money in the end. Um, but in the early days, it was more about just fun. And I loved it until I realized it was just, I, I got sucked into the buying all the posh kit for it. And then the things with bloody C's like every other time you rode them and started costing loads of money. And that's when I went to normal motorbikes, as in enduro motorbikes and KTMs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of motocross style. Yeah, well, it was like motocross enduro. It was definitely, and hair scrambles was what I did, which is like you'd race for three, four hours around a massive, you know, up to a 10-mile circuit. And it was how many laps you could do. And I absolutely loved it because it suited me because it was quite strong. And then the technical stuff I got from the downhill in, um, and I worked my way up to, I could 
you know, I won a few Clubman series and then I got into, um, I ended up in, what was it now, Expert Vets. And I could hold my own and podium in that. And I loved it. But then that was costing me a fortune. And like anything, I started doing too much of it. And then obviously I heard about this new thing called Enduro uh, mountain biking. And stupidly enough, I thought, oh, I bet I'll be quite good at this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was I couldn't have been further from the truth on my first race. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the motorcycle side of things. Do you find that community the same as the mountain biking community? I tell you what, the way I could, I think that the enduro motorbikes is a lot older crowd and um, almost a little bit like that in enduro versus downhill. When it first started, it was the older people started doing enduro Mm. and the enduro mountain bikers versus the motocrossers is a little bit like the enduro mountain bikers versus the downhillers you know it's a similar sort of uh whereas the downhill and the motocross is all like all about sort of jumps and full-on gnarly whereas enduro is a bit more chilled out and it's a bit about sort of pacing yourself and it's just a similar thing i think once you're in any sort of community of racers and riders it's like your family when you're in it yeah yeah and that's i think what we're missing the most with the lockdown and the races is you miss this sort of extended family yeah yeah oh for sure like i've always thought that the motorcycle side of things because there's more money in it um i thought a lot of people would take the race and seem quite serious yeah but i don't know if it's like that or not you know are they doing it oh in motocross definitely yeah Mm. i i used to have a term motocross dads and it was like you know these blokes who they get the kids into it and they'd have all the kit and all the big motor home and they'd be screaming at the kids and you know shouting at them if they didn't do well and that's like i've always said i don't ever want to be a motocross dad with todd with his riding his mountain bikes he'd just let him get on with it whereas the enduro motorbikes was very different scene it was more of a family thing and you know the old the old gits trying to get round and trying to trying to do the three hour race. Yeah. Yeah. See the yeah. Aye, for sure. It'd be the trailers with a couple of bikes on and loads of spare parts lying about and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a cool scene, man. It's a cool scene. So you you got out of that, you got back into the the enduro scene in the mountain bike and where did you first hear about that? Or was it through media you heard that? Or was it well, me it's or being in Shrewsbury, obviously it's a bit of a mecca for mountain bikers. Um, trying to think of names. Obviously the Affertons are very close. They've got houses in town. There's uh, Dan Brown is their manager. Uh, he's He was an old riding mate. Um, Stu Hughes was still riding and racing at the time in the elite. Um, uh, Neil Donahue. Mm-hmm. Mark Beaumont just down the road. There's so many from around here, really good riders. Matt Simmons is Shropshire. Um, so I always sort of had a bit of an eye on it, and I was always interested to see how people were doing in racing. And then when I heard the Enduro was coming, I, like I said, I thought I'd be all right at it. So typical me, jumped straight in the deep end, um, got on to Dan Brown and said, can I buy a GT off you? You know, when they were all on GT. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, a real good deal on a gt like a mates rate thing 
And then the first race was up Eastridge, literally, which is 15 minutes away from me. And me not knowing anything about it, I hadn't even ridden a mountain bike in years. I've got, got this GT and I got, uh, I went out and did a few, I think it was three weeks after I bought it. I, I went into a race and I said, can I, can I get some tires off you, Dan? And he gave me, he gave me this set. He shouldn't have given them to me at the time. I think they were continentals and they were like the stickiest downhill tires. I thought I'd have a massive advantage. Oh my <laughs> God. Literally couldn't get up the hills with these things on. And then as soon as anything went flat, I just couldn't move the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I entered, I think my first race was, I was a veteran cause I'm nearly, I'm 50 next year. So that would be 2012. I think I was veteran then, and I came mid pack, and I was like really disappointed. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how I got into it, and just I loved it from that. It was the challenge then. I was like, right, I've got to get better at this, and I started. It took me a while to get fit enough to consider myself an enduro mm-hmm. person. Yeah. And what was the what was the scene like then? I take it that was the early days of enduro. So were you getting many competitors and stuff then? It was, I mean, UKGE was the uh, the main race series, and then you had these sort of ones up in Scotland that looked really good, but not many competitors. Uh, Neil Donahue was the man. Um, he was winning absolutely everything, and yeah, it was it was a good close scene, but it didn't have all the extra race series that you get now i mean there's tons of them you can race kind of anywhere now can't you if you go off Mm. well before lockdown should i say um but it was it was a funny old thing because all the downhillers were like we hate enduro you know they were pros were slating it saying oh it's just um extreme cross country and all that sort of stuff uh it was it was a weird thing but then everything went so enduro, didn't it? It had it almost had its own fashion with the, the half face and the goggles and um, people strapping stuff to their bikes. And, you know, it, it. then they jumped on board, all the manufacturers at the time. They knew it was going to be big and sold the hell out of it. And uh, it became massive. I think now it's definitely it's peaked and it's sort of going back down because you've got like e- the e-bike thing and you've got, you know, enduro bikes, you've got amazingly capable trail bikes now. Um, like I said, downhills are very much a niche thing now. And, and you've got gravel bikes, you've got all these different things now, but um, it's really doing well cycling, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like I yeah. think the, I think the enduro thing to be honest, really saved the bike industry. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the downhill is awesome to watch, but as you say, it's very niche. You're not going to get many normal guys going out and buying downhill bikes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, so I would say the companies, you know, the brands that that produce bikes and et cetera, I would say the percentage of downhill bikes they sell to anything else is so small. Yeah, yeah. You know, they could not survive by selling downhill bikes alone. No. You know, and even funny you're mentioning e-bikes there because I was chatting to a gentleman from a really well-known brand. I can't mention any names really. But he said to me that they were selling four e-bikes to every one enduro bike. 
No, I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. Um, you know. The one thing when I was doing, when I got onto Enduro Mag and doing stuff for them, and they were very, very forward thinking. Um, you know, they were all 29 when people were slating 29. So I added 29 quite a lot before a lot of people. Uh, thankfully, they sorted the geometry out on them eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they do this thing called the Design Innovation Award where we go away every year and we test all these products in Germany or Italy and uh there's so many e-bikes uh, and I remember seeing them I was like what the hell are these things and right the first that first moment despite what you think about an e-bike uh, I know there's still haters of them that first moment when you get on it and you start moving the pedals and you cannot help but grin it's yeah. just like oh my god this is amazing and like like how the 29ers suddenly got well eventually got better geometry now the e-bikes are as well and they're getting lighter and you know more capable um i'm i don't mind admitting uh i'm full convert now i'm just i i went out i've got a video coming out in uh, a few days actually i've been on my e-bike a fair bit mccannondale and I also got a Cannondale Habit trail bike, and I hadn't ridden it for a few weeks. And I went to Landegla, like a trail centre, last weekend, and I hated it from the moment I got on the bike and did the first climb to the very end. At the beginning, I thought, oh, it's going to get easier. It's just because I'm not used to it. And everyone has said, once you've been on an e-bike for a bit, that's it. You forget your regular bike. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to ride it. And that it was like... Something had clicked in me, and I was like, no, I want to do two, three times the amount of this riding in the same time. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Like, do you think you didn't enjoy your normal bike because of the fitness level, or do you think the fitness thing doesn't even come into it? I think partly fitness, but I think, you know, a lot of – when I was racing Enduro and riding a lot of it, I think a lot of it is mental. So, you know, take, for instance, you go out riding with a load of really fit lads and you're at the back and don't know about yourself, but personally, I don't enjoy those rides. I'm like, and and you feel more tired because your brain's telling you you're unfit. But if you go out riding with a few mates and you're the fittest one of that bunch, which I've also done a bit, it makes you feel incredible on the climbs. Mm. So I think then when you get on the e-bike, uh, sorry, when you get on the regular bike, when you've been on the e-bike and you're with a couple of riders who are fit as well, which is what happened to me last weekend, your brain just is like, nah, man, <laughs> forget this. This yeah. is not fun. Uh, I mean, the downhills were still fun, mm-hmm. obviously. But um, all I was thinking is, because I went to Forest of Dean the next day on the e-bikes with my mates, and I, all I was thinking all that Saturday is I can't wait for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, man. I, I think the e-bikes certainly have their place for sure. I think yeah. they're really, really good. And, you know, whether you love them or you hate them, they're certainly good for the industry. And yeah good for the advancement of technology and everything else um, but it's getting people on trails that normally wouldn't be on trails yeah that's right i mean there is obviously there is the the problem with e-bikes is you've got that certain rider haven't you the one 
say you go to the trail center and you've got that rider who uh, has never been a mountain biker, so they don't know the sort of unwritten rules, you know. Yeah. Just be courteous to people. Don't come flying past. Don't be rude, whatever. So you'll get that person, and they bought an e-bike, and then they've just gone on onto a Google search and, and put in where can I go, and they come up with a trail centre, and then they go, and they either absolutely nail themselves, or when they're going up the hills, they're just barging past people really rude quite you know ignorant but they're not they're not original mountain bikers the original mountain bikers the ones i ride with are all original mountain bikers who've moved over and and like if i go out riding with a bunch of regular bikers now on my e-bike i always ride at the back Mm -hmm. because i don't want to be that bloke who's going off ahead annoying people because i've been on regular bikes with e-bikers and if they keep flying past it drives you crackers but if they're back you kind of I've been out with e-bikers who've got that same man- mentality, and you, you kind of forget they're on an e-bike then. Yeah, of course, exactly. No, I, I think, yeah, you're you're always going to have problems like that no matter what you're doing. You know, yeah. I, I think there's always going to be people like that, and people like that maybe won't stay at it that long, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, the corona cyclists, isn't there? there's so many of them at the moment. We call them corona cyclists, and they're the mm. ones who often don't have a helmet on. Yeah, and, uh, and to be yeah. honest, the, those people that bought bikes over Corona and are probably still buying them, you know, you would expect a good 70, 80, even maybe 90% of them people will fall off. You know, they won't they won't keep at it Yeah, once right. things are back to normal. But it, the other side of the coin is if it keeps 10, 15, 20% people still in the industry riding bikes, buying bikes, updating stuff, buying gear – Obviously, oh, exactly. buying helmets is good, right? Yeah, if it's pumping money back into the industry for R and D, so it's producing better kit and better bikes, then winner, isn't it? Really, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of cheap second-hand bikes in about a year's time. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> but then there's also the one. There's going to be a percentage of those Corona cyclists who will then go on to be like, I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to buy a decent, you know, really nice bike now, and I'm going to get into this. I really enjoy it. Yeah. So, well, that's, you know, it. that's it. If they, if they keep at it, they're going to be like anybody. They're going to be looking at the next thing, the next thing, you know, and they're yeah. going to be up, upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. Like we all do, you know, we all get suckered yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I find the e-bike as well. That, um, I mean, we're very lucky that we're sponsored by some fantastic brands. And once you bling a bike out like I have with Olin's and Envy, it uh, it does make a big difference to how they ride. I got my I got my Cannondale and it came with like the bog standard. Actually, there were boxes, triple clamps, and an air shock on the back. And uh, oh, I couldn't stand the way it rode when I first got it. But mm. yeah, the bling sorted it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, let's chat a little bit about Pen TV then, um, okay. and, and how that came about. Um, because you, you were obviously writing for magazines and stuff like that before, but was this your first venture into the kind of film side of of that type yeah, of social yeah. media thing? I've done a little bit in front of a camera, like I said, in the originally in the sprung days. You know, I was I was not shy of doing stuff in front of a camera. I think I've been on a few bits and pieces when they filmed mountain bike you uh, Britain, you know, the races and bits like oh. that. 
So I know it never bothered me being in front of a camera, but I wasn't thinking of doing it. I did think how videos should be uh, the future of like online bikey stuff, you know, instead of um, magazines. Mm-hmm. And I used to say that to Enduro Mag when I worked for them. I worked for them for five years, sort of part-time, doing a lot with their online magazines. And we were going away like to the Design Innovation Award and going to some nice places and had loads of nice kit. And it was actually the photographer I worked with a bit, Doc Ward, who turned around to me and said, you want to do a bit of vlogging, mate? And I was like, what the hell's vlogging? And this will be four years. Actually, it's four years this month when I right. started. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, oh, I've got a GoPro, you can borrow it. And he just sort of said, you just take it around with you and do a bit. And so the one DI Design Innovation Award I went to, I took it with me and I did a little edit and I, you know, I edited it on my uh, iPhone at the time. And it was so basic and they had to check everything I put because the Germans are like so corporate. They didn't want me to put stuff that was, you know, went against like the grain with any of their brands they work with. So I had to be careful and I brought that home and that was it. And I started it and it was called, um, what's it called? MTB Vlogs. That's what I called it. A terrible name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was me doing it and it was, um, it was Doc doing all the editing. I'd literally give him the card and he edited it. Uh, and then I ended up doing a bit with Stu who come involved with me doing these. And then we do the live show as well. It was like a proper show that we did in a pub. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, I never did any editing. I'm really rubbish on a computer and I'd, I'd not done, um, oh, just editing. I, the idea of it was horrendous. So, it moved on and then I changed it to Pin TV. And that is when Enduro Mag sort of said, hang on a minute, <laughs> this is a bit of a uh, compromise of what you're doing, you know, um, conflict of interest. Mm. What do you want to do? Do you want to do us or do you want to do that, basically? Uh, really? Wow. Absolutely lovely guys. I totally understand why they did it. And I was like, I thought about it. I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I, I had enough of writing. It was, it was just too much, too many facts to get right, especially when you're doing a lot of product stuff. It's so easy to get things wrong. Mm-hmm. And I found it a bit boring. When you're doing bike, bike reviews and things, it's like how much different stuff can you actually write about these bikes that are all sort of morphing into one? Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, took, I did that. And then for about a couple of years, Doc was doing all that for me, and then I, I could see he was getting sick of it. There was no money in the job as, at all. Uh, Stu was flat out working more than me, and it got a little bit tense for a while. And we had another young lad, Darcy, who came and did some editing for us for a bit, and then he uh, started doing his own thing. And it, at one stage, I was about to quit. I'd said, oh, you know what? I've had enough of this. Darcy didn't want to do it. I couldn't edit and it's actually my wife, Cassie, who turned around and said, listen, just get the laptop. Because I bought Darcy this decent laptop for doing it. Uh, and he didn't have the time to do it in the end. She could get it back off him and just have a go. And this was probably, I don't know, three years ago. Um, so I got it off him. And the first, I got that um, Sony Vegas. And I think the first edit I did, I can't remember which one it was, but it was like a 
20 minute edit it took me three days to edit it yeah, yeah. I, I lost the whole footage twice and nearly like i'd say I pulled my hair out that's all gone anyway um <laughs> but i got there in the end and then eventually got the hang of it and now i can do like a half hour edit in in about two hours now mm-hmm. um, it's just grown and grown i've got some good um viral ones like how hard is Afton's bike park when it was new? That was the what? That's, I think that's the first one that's virtually a hundred thousand views. Yeah, wow. And then the, the, actually, the one that's got the most is a horrendous video, and it's one of the first things I filmed. And it breaks all the rules. You know, the the GoPro sat on the floor looking up at me. I'm silhouetted, and it's how to plug a tubeless tire. And at the time, it had more views. Than uh, GMBN, <laughs> no one had done that video, so I was like, right, quick, do that. Um, and it's still up there, and it's it's amazing. It's still, I think that's on like 120k, and that's still earning me money. That video, aye, it's crazy. Well, it shows you the problem are people are having problems plugging their tires, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then obviously, uh, it's morphed a little bit more. Well, different mates have come along, like my mate Sonny's come along. Uh, Todd and I now do the live show here in the shed. We kind of try and do it weekly. Um, and that's got a good sort of retention of people who watch that. And Todd's got his own little part of it now. He's doing his own editing and people are watching Todd on his media. He's got his own following as he's grown up and get, you know, he can do these big, long manuals and he's only... Um, what is he now? 14 and he's turning into the right ripper. And we have a lot of, like I say, a lot of very nice kit and bikes and bits and pieces, which is kind of what I've always been known for, you know, getting nice kit really. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that the channel's got some sponsors. So who's, who's sponsoring you at the minute? Right. Our chat, we have channel sponsors and we have um, product sponsors, mm-hmm. which, Obviously, products are products, and the channel sponsors, uh, they give us money. Um, so there is RRP, which is Rapid Racer Products. And oh, yeah, yeah. Good guys. There's uh, Fenwick's Bike Cleaning Stuff. Uh, absolutely lovely bloke called John. Um, then the newer ones, we've got uh, DMR, which is actually – it's upgrade bikes, but it's down as DMR. So, you know, they give us jump bikes, but they also give us DMR grips and saddles mm-hmm. and pieces. And then the latest one is actually uh, my mate who owns Unite Co. Um, oh, yeah. It was originally Unite Components, but it's now called Unite Co. And that's Welsh-made, uh, beautiful bike components. and He's a good friend of mine as well. Um, and between them, you know, we get a well between them and the Google money and also merchandise, which Todd runs that site now. I, I sort of say to people, it's probably a third of a living, mm. so, and it's picking up all the time. I've got a few other people who are interested um, in getting involved, maybe as channel sponsors in the future. Uh, and we've got some good people sorting us out with kit. Um, Stanton Bikes, uh, MV, you know, decent brands, Olin's, Shimano. Oh, I could go on. I, I, yeah. 
it's hard to stop you know what i mean i don't want to miss any out but yeah if anyone looks at any links they can see who all, all our sponsors are but it's great to work with them yeah yeah for sure and as far as the channel sponsors and all go did you approach them or did they get in contact with you how did that work out kind of a bit of both really yeah. uh, like for instance dmr um dmr were i know rory who's like the main marketing guy over there. And I was just basically messaging him to try and get some grips for us. Mm-hmm. And he ended up saying, well, what's this going to cost? And I was like, well, nothing. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll just talk about it. Because I said, unless you want to become a channel sponsor. And mm-hmm. then he asked how much it was. And I was like, yeah, okay, no problem. Um, so our, our channel sponsors, I don't mind saying, our channel sponsors will give us two and a half thousand pound a year each. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's you know a nice little lump and then i get a little bit off a company called buicor and they sponsor each of my live shows right that's uh, cool and they you know they do kit and those changing robes and stuff like that yeah yeah and is that process you know is there contracts drawn up or is it kind of we'll uh, do this for you we'll do that you know is it still laid back kind of scene uh, very laid back uh, uh i i've always made sure um that brands that I work with, I've made the odd mistake in the past, but rectified it. Brands I work with, A, it's got to be good products. I don't want to be bigging up stuff that's rubbish products. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to be pretty mellow, so they sort of there is a lot of trust involved where, um, you know, you say, look, we'll give you this much publicity. We'll, well, but, but the thing that I get back, the feedback I get back is it does sell product. I get, um, you know, Stanton have sold a lot of bikes because of us. Um, Fenwick say that, you know, whenever he asks where people have seen stuff, so often they say it's pin TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, same with the same with all of them, really. Um, and then you can move on to these, like we've got some people who will do affiliate links where at the end of each video I'll, I'll have a link a special link to them where where anyone who's watched it can get like 10 15 percent off and then we'll get a little kickback off that mm-hmm. it, you know it's trying to get a little bit of money here there and everywhere and it all it all just helps really yeah yeah well it's a win-win isn't it they're getting a little bit of you know they're getting somebody like you that's that people know know you're not going to be riding anything you wouldn't ride yourself if that makes sense yeah, or would right. purchase yourself yeah. so they mm. know and you know it's funny man but you see the old the old marketing thing now from companies i think is getting harder and harder yeah because i think the normal person when they see an advert from the brand it's an advert they're pushing yeah. their product you know that's as far as it goes now but when they see somebody that you you know, riding the product, using the product, chatting about it every yeah. now and then. They know, they, they, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's better coming from you than the actual brand. Yes, I get what you mean. And at first with the channel sponsorship, it was down everyone's throats. I was like, you know, doing videos on this mug guard or on this cleaner. And, not, and I realized, you know, people don't like that. It, it doesn't get many views. And it's it's a bit like I know if I watch something like that, I think yeah he's just being paid to say this which yeah. I totally understand but 
if during my vlog at Hopton or wherever we are, I say, oh, we've just got these new Envy wheels, even though I'm not paid to run Envy, you know, that's that's a bit more realistic because it's what everyone does. You go out riding, you put a new thing on your bike and you, you talk to your mates about it. Don't you go, oh, I like the wheels, I like the way they're handling or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's more realistic than actually making a video on that product. Yeah, uh, I for think for sure. just to see the odd snippet, and then you get all the questions, and that's where that really is where the marketing is done with the interaction in the comments and the videos, mm-hmm. and and that's another thing I get so much is questions off people on all my media. Oh, I'm, I'm I know you run Olin's. Um, what do you think of this? Um, uh, same with you know any of the products. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm very honest because quite often I don't know. I'll say, to be honest, I don't know, mate. <laughs> I'll look on the website, mm. but I'd rather do that and try and blag it and try and pretend I know because this one thing, I think you'll always get sussed out if you try and pretend you know about stuff, really. Oh, well, of course, of course. But that's why they're coming to you initially or, or in the first place because they know they can trust what you say. Yeah, yeah. You know, every, every kind of, advert now for bikes for product they all look good they all look brilliant the product could be rubbish but the video is going to make it look amazing exactly and i mean a a prime example is uh tires uh i won't say who it is but we we had an original one as a channel sponsor a different brand and they were all right but they weren't amazing uh whenever a road was sunny he seemed to like pop them you know especially when we're out in spain oh my god he got through every tire we had <laughs> uh, but, but then it's uh, a chap i know who does wtb said look do you want to try these and we're not paid to run t- wtb and with what i do this is what i say to everyone if it's um a product sponsor i say with what i do i could pretty much probably get any tire brand to sort us out now, there's a reason we're with WTB. It's because they don't puncture. Or they, obviously, you are going to get the odd puncture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the grip is amazing. I, I totally trust them. And that is really the proof's in the pudding. If we're still running it after six months, it's that's what it's worth having. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. they speak for themselves, these products, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're American company, right? Uh I'm not sure if they're American or Canadian. One or right. the other. Yeah. No yeah. Yeah. No, I, a lot of the guys around here use them for sure. Yeah. Like uh, Glenn and all them boys ride them. I know that for sure. Um, so, yeah, I've never actually rode a WTB, but um, they do look pretty cool. If those guys are riding them, you know they're good. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Slim rides, anything, you know, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to yeah. Take, it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, have you. Well, you do a lot with the Pen TV. You you do product reviews, you do bike checks, you're doing yeah. the race event coverage, everything like that. Now, um, had you a vision for the channel before you started it, or have you a direction you want it to go? What's your kind of thinking that way? Um, yeah, a, a bit of everything. I mean, for instance, I've done a gravel video. Uh, I've done something when on the Stanton steel aggressive full uh sorry hardtail i went and did a cross-country race um i actually haven't done a downhill race yet i I was meant to do one this year Uh, but i will do that a bit of everything 
And when I'm there, just film it and vlog it. But also, from my days of the magazines, I still like to keep dip my toes into the industry a bit. So I'll go to bike shows and I'll film people talk. That's you know what you don't need knowledge on products for that because you just film the people talking about their products. It's yeah. really easy to do. And then people are interested, and I'll try and film the products that I find interesting. Um, and then, you know, I, I do like doing interviews. I like pe having people on the live show, just a bit of everything. I mean, I look at the benchmark is GMBN, but GMBN, I'd say, is more like your BBC One, and I'd mm. say we're more like uh, Channel 5 when it was really crap. <laughs> 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 you know, we're just we're not restricted in I mean I'm restricted in a way because we're working with I don't want to upset the brands I'm working with by doing, you know, really crappy stuff. You've got to toe the line a little bit. There's quite often some times where you want to say things you think, oh, I better not say anything here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um But yeah, we're I, we're more a lot more relaxed and there's no there's kind of no rules on what we can do. And a lot of it I want to – obviously, the future is for my boy Todd. I want eventually him to take it over and it to be his channel and then him do whatever he wants. Maybe it could be the next GMBN. Who knows? Uh, I definitely want it to be a – have a journalistic edge to it um, and the racing and adventure riding and just – Almost everything to do with mountain biking that we like and we do, I want to just bring to the viewers, really. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very cool to see. And it's kind of a lifestyle channel almost. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, within the mountain bike scene. No, I, I like that kind of thing because it appeals to a, a wide range. And I think with, you know, you were mentioning gravel and stuff there. I, I think with these gravel bikes and the e-bikes and everything coming out, People now, if they're going to have more than one bike in their garage, I'm sure they're going to be very tempted. Rather than having, let's say, a 130 travel and a 150 travel trail bike or whatever, they're going to be very tempted to maybe have the 150 trail and then a gravel bike or an e-bike or something. Yeah, that's right. Well, well, since I've done my sort of switch to e-bike, um, I'm now... Uh, exclusive, I haven't told anyone this, I'm actually rebuilding the Stanton FS as a bike park bike. And right, I've taken well. all the bits off my black Cannondale Habit because that's a 130 trail bike. And I, I bought an XL thinking I'd get away with the standover and I didn't really. It was freaking me out, the seat being so high. Mm. Um, so I'm going to have like this big hit in even though it's only a 140 that stands and it feels like a downhill bike because it's steel and very slack. So that's going to be my bike park bike. Then I've got this do everything e-bike that I absolutely love. But I've also got a gravel bike coming from um, Cannondale as a loaner. I don't know how long I'll have it, but, you know, I will get some eventually if they want it back. And I'm going to do some edits on that. But then I ride with a lot of people on normal bikes, so we won't be missing out the normal bike coverage. And then, obviously, Todd, he's got an e-bike and a regular bike, but he hardly ever rides his e-bike. He's not interested. He, he finds it fun and loves it, but he'd much rather ride his habit. Um, and then we may be, I don't know, we may be sorting something else back out with Stanton. You know, it's all just in talks at the moment. So, 
cover everything. That's it, really. Apart from road, I have no interest in riding road at all. It's far too dangerous, and yeah, it's yeah. not my at all. No, I can understand that for sure. Um, yeah, so you have plenty going on there. Do you still enjoy doing it? Yeah, I love it, and I love because I only started editing three years ago, and I definitely wouldn't never class myself as an editor. I can make it look all right and smooth, but. You know, when I look at these proper direct, proper editors who do like um, the EWS stuff, or you know, ri- they make the mm-hmm. films for people, I- I'm nowhere near that. You know, I'm just banging out these vlogs really. But because I'm quite new to it, still, I'm still learning, and it, it's like it's like you relive it. So you go out and you ride and you have fun, and I love it. It's all part of this the social thing. That's why it stressed me out. All the you know the middle of the lockdown you couldn't ride with people i hated that because my social life is on a bike mm-hmm. and um so i'm going out and having these rides filming them and it's like i relive them on i try and monday is when i'm at home doing normally doing my editing so i'm reliving them the next day and I, it's, it's amazing how many things i'll notice that i didn't notice on the day as well just daft little things. Oh, I didn't realise you'd done that, or whatever. Or you'll slow down a near crash, and he's like, "Christ, look at that!" <laughs> and yeah, I still find it really enjoyable, actually. And plus, I've grafted all my life, uh, you know, tree surgery and landscaping and that sort of thing. I've always been a grafter, and to think that I'm sat looking at mountain bikes and editing for a day and actually getting paid for it still blows my mind. And, you know, getting paid for my hobby instead of being out when it's raining, you know, mm-hmm. grafting all day and like quite often hating it. So if I could say short term what I'd really like, I'd love it to be full time. But mm-hmm. we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like um, and I know when a lot of people get into so, so you know, mountain biking is your passion outside yeah. of work. And I know when a lot of people sometimes turn their passion into something that is like work it can sometimes put them off you know because yeah yeah i've got a theory on that actually yeah go ahead i think it is like you see a lot of these pro racers and then as they get older and they they stop enjoying it so much and and you can i spoke to so many pros or ex-pros and especially when they are racing full on the last thing they want to do on a day off is ride a bike they want to go and do something completely different and when they when they quit they'll often do different things and walk away from it and that's because they're at the peak of their game and i've never been at the peak of my game you know i've never been that pro racer i've always been an all right rider but i feel i'm learning and getting a better rider now than i was 20 years ago yeah, and I think that's why I still enjoy it because I'm getting better rather than having been really good and then just age getting the better of me. And like I say, it's a social thing. Um, I think that's why I still enjoy it. Yeah. 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 Like I think I'm like you, to be honest, you know, with the podcast, because the more I get into it and the more I get speaking to people, the more I learn about industry and products and the people involved and how the whole thing works and ticks it actually makes me more interested in it again because you're learning you're educating yourself when you speak to people and 
instead of it putting me off and um, you know when i have time to go out in the bike i don't think oh frig, i have to go and jump on a mountain bike for frick's sake i'm yeah. actually i actually want to i'm more stoked to do it i i'm more you know i'm i want to go out in the bike as much as i can because i'm so in the thing now it's that's how i get but yeah i think if you were at the top of your peak and you were busting your butt for so long yeah yeah that's maybe a different scenario yeah and i think um i think also talking about the e-bikes with me like my age um i find it that's given me a total new lease of life because i was getting to the stage especially with working and stuff where i'm just tired i'm just like because t- i have to ride a lot to produce these videos i'm mm. not that mine but i was just tired all the time and obviously you go out on a big e-bike ride you're not knackered you're absolutely fine i mean you can still be blowing on the climbs and stuff depends on what you try but it was like a new lease of life and again it's another new thing and um yeah i think that's that's it's sort of stepped me to a new level of it now and also seeing todd come on seeing how well he's starting to ride it's that gives me a real buzz as well yeah for sure well it's such a healthy thing to do as a family yeah eh? Yeah, and also the other thing that I think with the older riders um, that doesn't get mentioned enough is the mental health side of it. Um, You know, a lot of people suffer. I don't mind admitting, I I, you know, I get like anxious, I get a bit of anxiety. And um, when I go out on my bike, you know, I can feel tetchy if before I ride, I can start feeling a bit miserable. As soon as I get on that bike, it's all forgotten about. And I come back from a ride, no matter what type of ride it is, and my mood's lifted and I'm happy again. And riding is like my it's like my therapist going out mm. on my bike and I come back and I'm happy, you know. Yeah. Because I think when – and this also happens with pros, is they've had these extreme highs when they've been racing. Um, and then, you know, top of the game, flat out, pushing the boundaries – and then when they come off the boil, it's quite hard for them to take mentally and they can suffer with their mind, with mild, mild, uh, mild depression and stuff like that, or even worse. And similar to me, not that I was a pro, but I've had a lot of highs, you know, I used to be into all the raving and stuff like that. Um, just let my dog in, he's rattling at the door. Is that Ian? Is that Ian, the yeah. trail dog? Yeah, I'm <laughs> He has to come and sit on my feet at the desk. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a mental health thing. It helps a lot for me, keeps me very grounded, and I love it. Yeah, no, I, I think it's cool. And I think there is push towards that. There's some people advising now people with certain problems or issues yeah um, like anxiety and stuff the whole mountain th- mountain bike thing seems to be getting quite popular they're getting guys out in nature out in bikes yeah, yeah definitely just just exercise in general but you know a lot of exercise is boring you know i'm not mm. i've done the gym thing but i've never really enjoyed it no because there's no sort of gain i mean you gain from fitness but it's just so dull isn't it it's uh yeah I used to do all the martial arts and that, and I used to enjoy that. And I, I, I did Thai boxing for years, and I, I wanted to do a fight. And uh, so the one day I stupidly agreed when I was about 35, I was like, right, I'm going to do one. And I trained and trained like mad for it. 
I was, you know, I was all right. I wasn't very good at it. And did this fight. I lost very close on points. But as soon as I'd done it, I never wanted to do it again. I was like, right, that's it now. I'm absolutely done. But because I had to train so hard, yeah, I kind of didn't enjoy it after that, really. I I know. I know it's crazy. But, but the mountain bike thing is so cool because... A lot of people do it. For me, it's a bit of an adrenaline thing. I think I have to have that little bit of adrenaline buzz there. But for so many people, it's just getting away from their desk, away from a city, out in nature, with a couple of pals or something. They forget about everything. They switch off, and they're just there in the moment. I think that's so important to people. Yeah, it's brilliant. And like you say, being out in nature, some of the places we ride, like recently we've been going to the Dovey, and I don't mean Dovey Bike Park. I mean the surrounding areas, and it's so desolate around there. And I, I absolutely love it when it's like. I don't really like these busy trail centres anymore. It's it's it kind of takes away from what mountain biking is for me, where you've got tons of. Unless you're at a race, it's a bit different. But if you go out and ride for the day, and you're surrounded by loads, I'd rather be out in the middle of nowhere riding. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's something to be said for it for sure. Mm. definitely so is there anything in the near future we can expect from pin tv is anything a wee bit different set up for the near future um as long as we're allowed with the whole lockdown and stuff um todd and i are going to spain in november to where todd is having a week's training with matt simmons Wow, okay, cool. Um, more training set up for him as well uh, with Ian from Firecrest down south. Um, oh, I've been speaking to various people. I don't I don't really – just I kind of make stuff up as I go along, to be honest, and see what happens. I just want it to – just want it to grow, keep going, nice and steady. Um, stuff with other vloggers, uh, Tom Caffrey nice to do some more stuff with him really mm-hmm. nice lad. he's one to watch um don't know really wherever, yeah. it, wherever it takes me <laughs> just organic mate just organic yeah that's it yeah that's cool that's cool well before i let you go jim is there or how can people best find you how how can they get in contact via socials or is youtube better how can they find out what you're doing and what you're up to really so obviously we're pin tv on youtube on instagram at pinned tv uk and then we are pinned tv on facebook and then todd always like to try and get people following todd it's t zero d n e y so it's todney but the it's not an o it's a zero mm-hmm. uh, and then i'm jim buchanan 955 so yeah we've got all the socials so it's all that lot um um yeah and come and say hello if you see me anywhere because everywhere i go now where i'm riding it's mental i get it's get recognized it freaks still freaks me out a bit <laughs> when, when i go riding people just they'll give me a nod and go uh, or they'll look at you funny and you know that they know who you are and quite often they go oh, i love the videos mate and i really like that and i like i like to speak to people Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want. I've had, I've had quite a lot of messages saying, "Oh, I saw you at wherever," but I didn't want to come and say hello. And I'll be like, "No, you should have done." Yeah, yeah. When people come up to you, do you have that kind of two or three seconds of "Should I know you?" Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember the first one was that something happened there. Was, I was at Hard Rock at the last Hard Rock, and I hadn't seen Donny for ages, Neil Donahue, and he was, you know, obviously he'd already made a big name for himself and with GMBN, and he came over chatting to me, and this geezer come over, and he was like my age, and like he looked at Donny, and then he looked at me, he goes, oh, mate, I love your videos, brilliant, <laughs> he said it to me and not Donny, Donny's face, it was such a picture, honestly, I was, I, that was like, a, I found that hilarious. <laughs> oh, classic, classic, oh, good times, man, good times. Do you think, uh, just because of the people you know there, and because you've been in the industry for a while, do you think that has helped with the Pen TV? Definitely, yes, yeah, I mean, I got, I got the first thousand subscribers really quickly and that's mm. really hard to get to a thousand normally, but because of, uh, Enduro mag and my social media at the time, I pushed it on there a little bit. And obviously I got a few openings that I wouldn't normally get because of people I know in the industry, like the Atherton thing, um, interviewing them and, uh, various other, Oh, uh, Ben Cathro, I did some stuff with him that got really good views. How fast is Ben Cathro? Mm -hmm. uh, just knowing these people, really. I'm from racing, I suppose. Yeah, it's very much networking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, Jim, listen, thanks so much, man. It's been an absolute blast chatting to you, and I'm glad things are going well there. And, um, yeah, Thank the, the channel. Oh, you're more than welcome, and the channel's cool, and I love to see. I love to see that kind of thing, you know, like a, a lifestyle kind of family orientated film uh, channel. It's really, really cool. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Thank you very much. All right, bud. Well, listen, good luck. I hope uh, I hope the lockdown thing ends quite soon and you can go out and make more videos and interview more people. It's not easy at the minute. No, it's not. It's difficult, but we'll get there. Yeah, cool. All right, bud. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. Take care. Bye. That's a wrap for episode 160. I hope you enjoyed that, folks, and I hope you learned a little bit more about Pin TV and what Jem's got going on there. And please do go over to Jem's YouTube channel and check it out. Now, if you want to know a little bit more about Pin TV, just simply go to the website's show notes, mtb-tribe.com, where you can get quick links to all Jem's socials, his YouTube channel. You'll see some of his YouTube videos on there, and you'll also be able to read a little bit more about what we chatted about. Now, Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really did enjoy our chat, and it was great to get you on the podcast. Well, long overdue, long overdue, sir. So uh, good luck for the 2020 season and what we've got left of it. And I know you're looking forward to getting back and reviewing the race season in 2021, so good luck with that, pal. I'll be keeping an eye on your channel and see how you're getting on. So thanks so much for listening, folks. I do appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you want to help support the show, the best way is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts because every one of your ratings helps, boosts us on the old Apple's algorithms, and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. Now, if you're not on Apple, you can also find and subscribe via Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or whatever podcast platform you use to listen to your shows. We also have a website that you can check out, mtb-tribe.com. You can find the complete bike catalogue there, listen and download every show for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the show from there. You can also get involved on social media. We are at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. 
And please take screenshots and share the show with friends, anybody you think that may be interested in mountain biking or interested in hearing a little bit more about our scene and what's going on. Just simply share the podcast to them on their socials or whatever and hopefully it can help them out and get them motivated to get back out on the trails. So thanks once again for being here, folks, and showing your support. I really do appreciate it. And until next week when we have another exciting guest on the show, as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails, and stay MTV stoked. <laughs>